0: On this episode of Deal and Extend, we discuss big news from Pine64. This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 79. Yes, we are almost to another whole 10 of Deal and Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from around the DLM community, places like the discourse forums, telegram group, discord server, and more. We also snag topics from around the network and give you our takes. We are missing Matt, the Kung Fu Master of Gaming Enablement. But with me, I have the DLN creator with the OpenSUSE Awesome Sauce. How are you, Nate?
1: Wonderful. And how are you?
0: I am doing pretty dang good, I think. It's, you know, temperature moment by moment. This week has been crazy. That's why we're recording on a Saturday instead of a Wednesday as usual. And it's another one of those episodes. It seems like we are doing everything in our power in order to just get it made. One of those weeks again.
1: (laughs) This is true. I have no internet right now, so we're talking magically through puffs of smoke, it seems.
0: Smoke signals across the country.
1: It's amazing how digital they are, yeah.
0: Yes, very nice and clear.
1: It is. The good thing about losing the internet, if there is a good thing, I was able to dig through and play stuff on my MB server last night instead of, you know, watching a movie from one of those cloud-based services. But instead, I watched some old things from MB server, which was great. The other thing, too, is my home automation is not tied to the internet at all, and so that all basically worked just as well except apparently my phone gets a little bit ropey if it doesn't have proper internet and doesn't want to like look at things correctly. But that's all right. I've installed some new devices. I continue to add a few more things. But I'm having some problems with a dimmer and one particular LED that's inside a fan housing that I can't get the globe off of. I don't know if you ever had this problem, but the globe is a twist on and it's a glass globe. I can't get the thing off. I looked at the manual and whatever else. I just need to put a different bulb in there that's more friendly to dimming, basically. If I can't get the thing off, I'm just going to switch it just a a toggle on off switch, which has not yet arrived. I'll get that. And then also I'm having issues where this may sound kind of crazy, but if some of the switches are left untouched for a while, they go to sleep and or have like a soft crash. So it's really weird to say my light switch has crashed. One of the dimmer switches crashed, but it it is kind of some software on there that's not totally baked out yet. And it's kind of experimental that I'm playing with because I don't want to use, you know, cloud based services. Working on that, I pulled some logs off of it. I should get it resolved here pretty soon. It's a little bit annoying when you go to turn on your lights and the lights just. don't do anything. That's a bad thing. It did make for some friction in the house. So I do need to get those things uh, resolved pretty quickly. And I will within the next week or so. And I don't feel like I know enough yet to really share my knowledge like in detail yet. But when I do get there, I promise I will have something I will share with the greater community as far as step-by-step getting it set up. Probably break it down in a lot of different little articles, but you know things from Home Assistant to setting up switches, the kind of switches I'm using and what's worked and so forth. I did video the process of actually tearing them apart and flashing them and so forth. But I don't know exactly what I'm gonna do with that yet. I gotta figure it out. I got too many irons in the fire right now, I think especially with the weather changing and some hungry hawks. I got to do something to protect my birds. That's what's going on here. How are things over there in your side of the country?
0: Well, last week was kind of nice. I took a week off of editing. Matt covered that. And so I played some games. I got caught up on my zombie shows. All right. I still didn't get everything done that I needed to get caught up on. There was still some co-op related stuff that I needed to do that I just didn't get wrapped up. But I did take some time to just breathe and do something fun for me. And so... It was nice to finally be able to play some games. Even though Matt is not here for the show, don't worry. I have the game recommendations covered.
1: Oh, so you're going to enable now too.
0: Well, if Matt's not here, <laughs> somebody's got to do it. So I might as well.
1: It makes sense. You got to pick up the slack when, when the slack <laughs> is there. So, um, so there you go, Matt. You're not the only enabler on the network.
0: Exactly. I've been called an enabler before anyway, especially from people that listen to Hardware Addicts. And if you haven't, go check it out. We do a camera segment every single week. Sometimes it's talking about how your camera works to how to make, like the last two episodes, how to get better pictures from your cell phone camera. I've been called an enabler on that show from listeners saying, hey, I didn't want a quote unquote real camera until I heard you talking about them and how they work and the kind of pictures that you can get out of them. So I've went out and bought an XYZ and I absolutely love it. I love feedback like that. So keep sending it send it my way you can call me enabler all you want when it comes to the photography stuff i accept it wholeheartedly
1: this is true i'm looking at the component you enabled me to buy right now sitting next to me on a tripod
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes not only for listeners but for members of the network as well indeed This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now's the perfect time to dive into DigitalOcean. Their new App Platform service helps you build modern, cloud-native apps for way less money. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever using a simple, intuitive interface. Simply point App Platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository and let it do all the heavy lifting whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, Static Sites, Docker, and containers. By running App Platform on their own infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps your costs significantly lower than any other products. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup, too. As a DLN Extend listener and member of the DLN community, you can get started building your world-changing app on their app platform for free. And it gets better. DigitalOcean will give you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co/dln. Again, go to do.co/dln to get started with your free $100 credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Speaking of hardware addicts and amazing hardware, it's kind of cool that we're recording on a Saturday because of that. We got to hear about the new announcement from Pine 64. Yes, once again, they're putting out some amazing open hardware. This is taking the Pine phone to the next level with a Pine phone pro device. They are not available to buy yet. Right now, it is just the developer versions. Those, hey, I'm going to be creating software for this device, not for everybody ones, that you can pre-order by sending in an application to Pine64. But it sounded like in November, there would be the first official, here's one for everyone version of the pre-order What did you think of this announcement, Nate? Well,
1: personally, I'm really excited. Now, I do like my Pine phone. I do play with it. I have to also recognize it is a toy. I just play with it. I bring it with me just to see how it does in different situations. I'm primarily running the UbiPorts, Ubuntu Touch, whatever you want to call it. And I do enjoy it very much. I like the different style of interface. I think really is what it boils down to. I do also experiment with uh, OpenSUSE a Tumbleweed on it with the Plasma Mobile. I enjoy that very much too. I swap between them because I do like them both very much. I think Plasma Mobile's got a lot of things going for it and I think Ubuntu Touch has a lot of good things going for it. My problem with the Tumbleweed is it doesn't really have a great although is good, the applications aren't really curated for the PinePhone and that's good and bad and you know, we can get into that another time. So I love the PinePhone. In fact, my oldest actually took my PinePhone from me and he's been playing with it too. There is that. He's in this mobile phone kick right now. He's Fascinated by mobile devices, not the hardware I would be interested in for play, but well, whatever. When I heard about this new Pine phone and I looked at the specifications, I'm like, holy cow, this thing is better. In specs than my current daily driver phone. Like it's comparable or better. It has more storage. I don't really understand like the speed because the whole speed thing on like the chips doesn't seem to make sense to me because like 1.5 megahertz is sometimes faster or slower than another one. So there's there's other factors that go into it too. But I thought this was incredibly exciting. All the specifications just look top notch as far as like it looks like a flagship phone specification, at least from my non expert eyes. Now, what did you think of it?
0: It definitely has some things that flagship phones these days don't get or you have to pay an absolute premium for. One of those is up to 128 gigs of internal storage. That to me is so freaking cool, especially where you have phones out there that are still just 32 gigs or maybe even less as far as their internal storage goes. You still have the expandable memory with the SD cards. Based on that interview that dropped Friday, You could potentially use an SD card in this that's up to one terabyte. Wow. That one wasn't a promise, but just based on some of the stuff that he knows, which he's seen other people using in the testing as they are putting together this hardware, it is a potential to be able to have an additional one terabyte SD card inside your phone, which is really cool if you're thinking about having all of your music on there, maybe some other media that you like to watch. Plus, this does have two cameras on it. Now, if you've listened to Hardware Addicts, you know that I tell you multiple times, again and again, megapixels aren't everything. There is so much more (laughs) that goes into a camera than just megapixels. But if we're talking the basics of what these sensors are, you have a 13 megapixel rear facing camera, and this is a Sony sensor. When I heard this, I was not surprised at all because Sony really seems to dominate the market when it comes to sensors in general on mobile devices. And one of the best things about this sensor was it has already been used widely in the community on different open hardware projects. The drivers are already Hmm. out there. I know getting the camera to work on the current Pine phone has been an issue. And now in this upgrade to the Pro, they are using a camera that already has support Now it sounded like the front camera, the front facing camera is going to be the one that is currently on the back of the PinePhone Pro device. So I'm sure they've got some other stuff that they're working on as far as drivers that way in order to get it working fully, but it's definitely an upgrade in the camera department. I don't know how well these images are going to work. On most smartphones that you have out there, yeah, the hardware that they use in the phone is definitely important to have the best quality sensor of that size. I mean, these sensors are absolutely tiny. Their ability to gather light, those buckets, those pixels that they have are just so small that it is easy to have noise, it's easy for things to be too bright, right? They fill up really, really fast or for there not to be enough light in it. This is one of the typical issues that you have with sensors that are that small. They're just incredibly tiny, especially when you're looking at even a crop sensor, your standard basic out-the-door sensor that is on an entry-level DSLR they are still so much bigger than the ones that are in these phones. And they've compensated over the years with the software that is on them and those algorithms that are formulated specific for that camera sensor to get them a better overall image. So yeah, you've got the hardware, but they're doing so much in software in order to give you that finalized image.
1: I didn't even think about the software aspect of getting good images out of the optical sensors. Like I didn't even think of that because in my mind, you know, maybe I'm just because I'm old or something and I've had film cameras in my past, but I just figured, blam, You open up the eye, it captures it like film, and then there you go. But even then, there's a lot of programming of sorts that went to the different kinds of film, like all the different ISO levels and so forth, or ISO levels, whatever it's called. There's a lot to that, just the programming side and how to interpret the data from the camera effectively. But I figured it was all self-contained in the sensor itself, but it would make sense that it's not.
0: Yeah, and that's why sometimes you get these new cameras or these new smartphones and even new camera bodies And they will specifically talk about the software that's related to the camera. The hardware in and of itself might be the same from last generation, but in the new generation, and this is something that they could have passed down to the older phone, it's really in the software that they're making a difference in. Okay, we know that this sensor has this amount of noise. This is typically where it shows up in the sensor at these different levels of ISO or whatever specs they're looking at and then create algorithms to compensate for those issues. So by the time you see the image, by the time it's gone through the AI processing portion of your camera, and yes, there are additional brains inside your everyday quote unquote, real camera, they do this sort of processing too. And this is definitely upticked in the more modern cameras. But that is what helps with all of those compensations. And because this camera is open source, and then the ROM that you use, the version of Linux that you use on your phone can definitely make a difference. So I would love to see some communities spring up around the cameras that are related to these Pine phones because that is how we're going to get better and better image quality out of them. Being able to take that hardware, test it, see where the deficiencies are, and be able to compensate for it. I am not that smart. I know I look at some of the algorithm-based stuff that even goes into dark table and raw therapy and the, the way that it can take images and process it. And it's just mind-boggling to me. I am really not a math person. I am a creative person, and I'm so thankful for the people out there who are. And it's those kind of people with those amazing brains that if they can come together as a community, especially with the better drivers that are available for this version of the main sensor, we might be able to get some decent images out of these phones. That's
1: why I like doing these podcasts, because you end up learning a lot just by virtue of talking to other people. Yeah, I didn't even think about one of the algorithms, and the artificial intelligence that goes into processing photographs. But I guess it's not too far from like how our own eyes work even. There's a lot of processing our brains do to get rid of the veins and such that are inside by our retina and everything else. That's kind of crazy. It's pretty amazing that we're able to mimic the wonders of nature even in our technology to an astounding level, really. And yeah, I'd love to see some people in the communities band together to get better image quality. Perhaps, okay, this might be a pie in the sky, but a lot of times these open source projects, although they're a slow burn, they end up producing a product that's often better than the proprietary counterpart's. When it gets critical mass, you know, I'm sure that maybe more cameras might end up becoming open source and so forth. This is super exciting. All those different little things that are going into the camera and everything else. Another thing I know that a lot of intelligence goes into is just battery management. They actually did some modifications to the SoC, the uh, rock chip, hexacore rock chip. They fine tuned it to get better performance out of it, get the thermal and battery consumption envelopes within an acceptable range. Because, you know, a big issue is, you know, battery life on a lot of these devices. The Pine phone isn't too bad. I can get all day out of it without charging it. When it goes, sleep it doesn't necessarily fully go to sleep and i don't know if that's a tuning issue or what even the algorithms and the intelligence that goes into managing power consumption and so forth is just absolutely amazing and probably not a lot of thanks goes to these incredibly intelligent and talented people that develop this you know we take it for granted i think a lot just as we complain about our devices battery life
0: yeah and one of the advantages that a pine phone has over say an android phone is there's less things typically running in the background i know there's been a lot of talk specifically around laptops and battery life and how do I get this to stretch and what different applications can I use and tweaks that I can make in order to get the most out of laptop life and it seems to be one of those conversations is really easy to carry over to the mobile device in your pocket and some of those same structures that are already set up and being used on some laptop hardware could potentially be really good jumping off points for being able to do that with mobile devices. So it's really cool that they've spent some extra time working on the thermals and the battery consumption of that. They've also taken a page from the Pinebook Pro. So it's not exactly the same ARM CPU, but it is very similar And so you're going to be getting so much more power in terms of this CPU over the previous generation, the pine phone that most people already have. I have enjoyed playing with the pine phone. I am still working on doing the pine phone challenge. That's probably one of the things I should have done with my spare time last week, stopped (laughs) it with the zombie shows and played with the pine phone some more because I still want to do that. It would be really cool to take the challenge with both the original pine phone and the PinePhone Pro, but I know one of the things that I've noticed while playing with this device is it's definitely not as snappy as the phone that I use now, and I don't buy the super high-end expensive phones, I find most of them to hit the point of diminishing returns. So sometimes I'll look at them and I'm like, yeah, they've got some really cool things, but I just can't see paying that price. So mid-range is typically where we go for cell phones. I don't want the low, low end on most Android phones, mainly because they're not getting any updates and... The hardware in them is just painful to use. Right. On the PinePhone, it has been fun to use, but it is still really laggy. I know I'll I'll hit an application, takes a while for it to open, some of that, which would make it harder for it to be a daily driver. And I've already kind of felt that when I'm taking that PinePhone challenge, that'll probably be a pain point for me. Just because the current mid-range device that I'm using right now, it's hard to tell processor-wise that it's a mid-range device. Stuff is pretty instant in its opening. Now with this upgraded processor in the Pro, I'm really hoping to see some of that lag cleaned up and that those applications will be quite a bit snappier. Of course, it'll help that we're getting four gigs of RAM instead of three. Yes, I know it's a one gig jump, but that one gig can make a huge difference depending on what you're using your mobile device for.
1: I think one gig is pretty huge, really. From three to four is... I think is significant. Yeah, it may only be one gigabyte, but that's a lot of memory. I don't care who you are.
0: That's a lot of memory.
1: Let's hear web browser tab. That's a lot of memory.
0: Yes, or unless you're <laughs> Michael and you're dealing with some of his stuff with OBS and he talks about how that they're actually... Chrome browser tabs, essentially in the one Video Ninja application that they're using. So he is having a ton of processor use and a ton of RAM usage just with trying to do Destination Linux. He go listen to Hardware Addicts, is getting some hardware upgrades hopefully soon. Cool. And this is one of the reasons to have those hardware upgrades in your phones is the ability to multitask through things, not have to close every single application that you have open I try to keep them closed on my phone. Like if I'm done with something, I typically close it. I don't like to have a lot of applications hanging out in the background on my desktop computer. Sometimes I will have multiple applications. There's usually a ton of tabs like I've talked about before, especially when doing school related stuff. I can have multiple windows open with multiple tabs open and need to have them going for several days as I'm putting things together. And it's just one more advantage to having a snappier, more user-friendly mobile device.
1: For sure. Some other, I think, really interesting things that they've carried over from the other PinePhone to the PinePhone Pro, the hardware switches. So the privacy-dip switches are accessible in the back cover, the same. The cameras can be turned off, the microphone, Wi-Fi, and Bluetooth, the headphone jack. This is interesting to me. There is a UART, capability within the headphone jack, which is a universal asynchronous receiver transmitter. So you can essentially send serial commands down the headphone jack. I've never heard of that before. Have you heard of that before? Or is that what they put in headphone jacks with like the volume up, volume down? Is that the same thing? I don't know. Maybe someone can correct me. That
0: is not a technology that I am super familiar with. So I think that's one of the rabbit holes that we can deep dive down to and learn a little bit more and find additional coolness with the PinePhone Pro. Yeah,
1: because I mean, I'm just thinking like, would it be possible then to have like a serial breakout cable because it's. RS232 compliant, I guess, or can be anyway. So I wonder now, like, what is it able to do down the headphone jack? I find that just to be absolutely fascinating. I had no idea. Anyway, so you can turn that on and off with the hard dip switch, and then also the LTE modem, including the GPS, that's on another switch as well. The Pine Phone Pro is compatible with the Pine Phone peripheral so the keyboard, the Pine Doy LoRa. I don't know what that is fingerprint reader, and wireless charging case as well.
0: The only thing that it's not cross-compatible with seems to be the cases for them, and that's because the Pro is just a little bit thicker than the original PinePhone Pro. So they are going to have to make new cases, but that really isn't a super big deal. I think as far as manufacturing goes, it's probably one of the easiest components to manufacture. I would say so. But even the glass screensavers should be the same. So that part's really nice. They can just cross over some of the stuff that they've already built for the original PinePhone and it should work perfectly on the Pro version.
1: And this one also has the pogo pins on the back. I don't know exactly what they're called properly, but those other toys or layers you can put on the back of the phone, like with the wireless charging or whatever else. That's also compatible as well. So I think those are all exciting. Is uh, the accelerometer, gyroscope, proximity sensor, compass, and ambient light. Just amazing the number of sensors in such a small device, really.
0: It is. And it's amazing that these have been pretty standard sensors across the board for years now. And even Mm -hmm. better, these sensors are being built into the open hardware from the super awesome company Pine 64 so we have more toys to play with this seems like the next step to me in getting a open source hardware open source software device in which we have full control over our day-to-day lives the mobile phones are so much a part of how we function anymore and most of them pretty much all of them are absolute data suckers for everything from your location to what you're looking at Like they're attached to you and all of that information is usually going to somebody else at the same time and it'll be so awesome to see this next iteration it really feels like the next step for me in having a daily driver that frees me from sharing my data
1: right i totally agree two millimeters about two millimeters to me that's not a big deal the original one's pretty thin as it is i'm interested in seeing how much better the screen is i will get this i won't pre-order it now because i have another thing i already committed to but i will be getting this because i'd like to compare it also i don't know if it's the same battery or not i'm gonna verify but it uses a samsung j7 form factor battery so i don't know what the old form factor is but it has its same capacity but it's nice to see they just use a standard form factor even for this it looks about the same We'll see if it ends up being as such, ultimately. From the searching online to that form factor, it looks about the same. So 3,000 milliamp hour. We'll see how well that works for this phone. So what do you think about the price tag?
0: It actually fits really nicely into that mid-range phone price and actually a little bit better than a lot of the phones in that mid-range phone price, especially with the specs that there are for it. It's hitting the market at $399 US dollars. Let's just round it up. We know it's a $400 phone. That's really good especially when you the mid-range phone i'm using right now i got it on sale for right around that same price maybe a hundred dollars more it's been a couple years since i bought this phone but right in that price range some of the mid-range phones that are coming out right now are a bit above that in the five to six hundred dollar range. then if you're looking at top of the line phones the ones that are the big names you're anywhere from 850 to I think the latest Sony phone is way above that the flip phone from samsung i believe is in the 1700 range like phones have gone absolutely crazy yeah they have and for what they have in this device i think this is a great price point for it really nailed it once again with where they're able to put this phone and actually get it into the hands of people who want to use it.
1: I think it's reasonable too, especially with the scarcity in parts that we're having issues with at this time. I think this is a good price factoring that in as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know during that interview, there will be a link to it if you haven't seen it already. But he was talking about how we don't know where the parts will be day to day right now. We have a pretty good supply. We know we're going to be able to put some devices out there. But for how long this runs really depends on what happens on the manufacturing side of it. So they're not making any promises. One of the things we do have to look forward to is the fact that just us geeks know about the awesomeness of PinePhone. Even though we're trying to get it out there and across the board to more people, So we're less likely going to run into issues where somebody buys up the whole stock and you're dealing with scalpers as we have, especially in the GPU market, as there seems to be going on in the console market. There's some drama going on around that too that I was listening about this morning. So there's drama in hardware all across the board and a lot of it comes back to there's way more demand than there is supply. I would say that based on how good has been, they are not going to pre-sell more devices than they can get to you in that time frame that they are wanting. But it doesn't mean that the supply that they have will last long. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how many they're actually able to get into the hands of users based on the supply for parts that they can get. I may just
1: want to pre-order one now just because after that little talk.
0: Yeah, you may want to. It's one of those things that if you have the budget for it, or you can set aside the budget for it. It's not going to be this month of those pre-orders. It'll be next month. So there is some time before, but I know there's so many people in our community that pre-ordered a Steam Deck. That money's already kind of sitting off to the side. And unless you've had time to rebuild up that stock for your funds and extras, it just may not be a possibility right now. Right. But I'm hoping that this is one of those cases where they'll be able to keep supply. I was kind of wondering, especially where they were taking a CPU from the Pinebook Pro, that worried me. Because you can't get a Pinebook Pro. Behind the scenes, talking to Michael about this, I had asked this question, which he had gotten more information just from being part of that interview that it's not the CPUs that they're having problems getting a hold of, it's the screens themselves. That is the holdup for more Pinebook. Rose going out and they seem to have wow. a good supply of everything they need at this point for the phone especially where some of the same parts are coming across from the original pine phone hopefully there will be a pretty good supply like i said it all comes down to the warehouses and the manufacturing and just how much of that is able to come out and meet the demand for them Don't just take mine and Nate's word on it. We've had some really fun things to talk about. I've enjoyed this conversation. Take it away, Matt.
2: I think the thing that really excites me most about the PinePhone Pro is not just the spec improvements and everything else that you're generically going to find. But it's the fact that the Pine 64 itself took the time and listened to what the community was saying. They took the time to really develop a phone that really has everything the community wants. We talked about the camera on the original Pine phone. They're not the best, let's be real. They go in a 13 megapixel Sony IMX in it for a sensor this time around that has mainline kernel support so you're not potentially having all the weird issues that you normally would with like the last one. Give you four gigs of RAM. They give you you know a six core processor gives you plenty of oomph in that, all the while trying to make it so that the already established ecosystem of accessories and stuff, barring cases, pretty much still works with the new PinePhone Pro is really, really awesome too, because a lot of companies would just say, oh, okay, new phone, new design, we're good. The backwards compatibility is not something that they would mostly care about, but Pine64 goes out of the way to actually make it so that that is a major factor things like the keyword and all the other stuff that they have coming out is still factored into that decision making process the design process and every aspect of what they are looking to build into a phone with the feedback from the community the thing that pine 64 has shown that other companies can't seem to wrap their head around is that they listen to the community they understand the community and they are being part of the community as opposed to an island unto themselves. So personally, for me, with the announcement of PinePhone Pro, there really isn't any other Linux phone. The other major thing that I love about Pine64 is the fact of how transparent they are about what the PinePhone Pro actually is. They said the hardware is daily driver-ready, the software, not so much whereas other companies are not that transparent and say things like their current product is a drop-in replacement for Android and iOS if you rely on those proprietary services of those platforms. So Pine coming out and saying 100% truthful, really what the current state of the software is, is totally refreshing.
1: This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager we use and trust. It's the easiest safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital sensitive information. Bitwarden lets you choose the authentication to access your password manager, such as pin, master password, and adding phrases or fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Go to bitwarden.com dln to get started for free. Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. It has extensive security audits. It gives you the ability to self-host if you so choose. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. It's only $10 for a premium account, which gives you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, and more. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. If you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the premium edition, especially since the premium edition starts at only $10 annually. Bitwarden has saved me from getting into a Serious Jam numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it from my cold, dead device. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend.
0: Now it's time to jump back over to Nate, and you can tell us what cool things you are working on. What's your interest this week?
1: One, I didn't write it down in the show notes. Shame on me. The thing that I'm working on right now, I just need to get some things and start experimenting at this point. But I want to offset my electrical footprint. I spend money, electricity, powering my stuff out here in my cubicle labs. I just feel like because I have the space and I have the capability, I should take it upon myself to produce some of my own electricity or if not all of it, I've been doing lots and lots of reading on how to do like a hybrid system where I can use the grid or my own electrical, you know, based on what I'm able to produce and my demands and also be able to put my excess back onto the grid. A lot of reading, a lot of studying on that. Keep going like around and around these different solutions that are out there. I've now been getting inundated with ads Thanks Google for spying on me. They're only giving me more information, which is a little bit like information overload. I've not committed yet, but hopefully maybe some in the community has some experience they can share with me too. I've been like reaching out to different areas and trying asking questions and so forth, especially around the whole smart house home assistant communities that are out there as well. What do they do? And I got a variety of answers there too, and it actually gets me no closer to my solution. So I think I'm gonna buy myself a small vertical axis windmill just for experimentation. It's not very expensive. Actually cheaper than the PinePhone Pro, and an inverter, which is about the cost of a pine phone pro put those together with a proper grid tie disconnect so you don't you know fry somebody that's working on power lines and just see where i can go from there i think it's important i have the means i have some of the knowledge i think it's time to start making the steps to become more energy independent i guess if the grid goes down for whatever reason, we you know, lose a brownout or a blackout for a while due to weather or something. I'd like to still be able to you know power on my Commodore 64. So it's kind of a selfish thing too.
0: And who doesn't want to heat their house in the winter when the power goes out, right? Exactly. I love all these projects that you're working on. <laughs> I'm pretty jealous of your home automation system that you're working on that doesn't use the internet. And now you're going to add some energy independence on top of that. By the time you are done with this house, which will probably be never, there'll always be improvements going on. Yeah, never. But this is going to be such a cool place.
1: These are things I've wanted to do, you know, since childhood. Taking me, what, how old am I now? Doesn't matter. Decades to come to this point where I have the means and I have the time and I have some of the knowledge to be able to get here. And there's a sense of satisfaction in actually getting to those goals for sure. To figure it out, to lift this heavy weight of sorts of figuring these things out. It's not easy. None of it's easy. And a lot of it's kind of dangerous, too, if you don't do the right thing. So talking to the right people. It's exciting for me. I look forward to finally implementing some solutions. And hopefully those solutions work better than my dimmer light switches that crash from time to time.
0: It'll definitely get better as you find different technologies and the software gets better. There's plenty of time to play with it. Though I can understand that being a bit frustrating when your lights aren't working just because... Your switches have gone to sleep.
1: Well, at least they're saving power, right? I guess. Not letting me turn lights on.
0: Absolutely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There we go. So you had some time off last week. You put a little time in in playing some games.
0: I did put some time into playing some games. And one of the ones I spent the most time on was Unbound Worlds Apart. This one is Linux native. It's in one of the styles I love. They're hand-drawn cute cartoony figures this is more of a side scroller style and I'm typically not interested in all of the side scroller stuff but in this one it's also puzzle based as well and you have to do a little bit of parkour is really hard for me my kids were watching me go through one version of the game and so you come to a point and you have to open a portal into I don't know if it's necessarily another world or connecting universe something along those lines but there's places in Where you currently are, where there are no blocks to jump, you open up this portal, there's blocks, there's ways of getting around monsters, and different ways of achieving your goal, getting to where you need to be, using these portals, different tactics that you have available to you on the different levels. So it's both a side-scroller game where you can die from monsters, but it still really is a puzzle-based style game. I've reached the point where I'm stuck, so I need to go and find some crystals, I found one. I just can't figure out how to get to the gosh darn thing because every time I open the portal in the level that I'm at it puts me upside down. So gravity is reversing at this point and I need to go down underneath to get to the crystal. Still trying to figure out now that I've got it found how to actually achieve it because if I go underneath it, there's too much of a wall there and I have I just haven't been able to get to it at this point. I know there's a way. I'm sure other people have gotten past it and gathered up this crystal. I just haven't figured out how to do it, but it's really fun. Still one of those family-friendly games. I'm totally cool if the kids played it. It's great if the kids are around me as I'm playing it. Mm -hmm. And the best part is where it runs natively, there aren't some of those glitches that you can get with games that are using Proton. Even if they run pretty good, you'll still get glitches on some Proton-based games. And this one so far has run beautifully And I love to support developers that have native versions of the games.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at, and I call them trailers, the little things in Steam that talk about the game. It is a neat art style. Now, I do like the side-scrollers because I was a big fan of Mario. I remember being stuck in the past on some old Nintendo games. So it's too bad there isn't like a Nintendo Power Magazine you can subscribe to to find the solutions. that's what we did back in the day. I do like the art style a lot. I know it's parallax scrolling that they're doing for a lot of it, but the different layers of scrolling, it just, it gives such depth to the game. Again, I don't mind the side scrollers. It almost makes the flatness go away, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, it really does. It adds to the dimension of the world that you're in and the story that goes along with it and just makes solving the puzzles a little more interesting. I like the way that they've put this game together. Ah, It's only 20 bucks. It's really not bad. I know I've seen it on sale recently. So there's a good chance it'll go on sale again. If you're going to buy a game outright full price, $20 isn't bad. They have a Linux native version. And if you like puzzle games, this is a fun one to get. We'd like to continue the discussion with you on Telegram and Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to contact us on the social channels and all the shows and creators at DestinationLinux.network. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, make sure you check the link in the bottom of the show description or drop us a message on the contact form by going to dlnextend.com contact. Be sure to check out the Deal and Merch store. Grab yourself some awesome Deal and Extend swag, along with stuff from across the network. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of Deal and Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone.